come before our sovereign and good God this morning, church, with God's holy words from the last five verses of chapter three in the book of Romans. Please take your Bibles out if you can, and I will read our passage today. This is Romans chapter three, verses 27 through 31. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. As you're getting your Bibles out, hopefully many of you are listening together at uh, 11 a.m. by this time. If not, I still praise God that you are faithfully continuing your worship even from home. I would like to say just a, a few brief words regarding the loss NBC is experiencing as of last night. We woke up this morning, church, with heavy hearts as our brother Greg Wachowski went to be with the Lord last night. For the Bible promises that God's children that are absent from the body will be present with the Lord. We can have joy, church, in the fact that Greg is with the Lord. He lived a life of trusting in Christ alone for his salvation, a life of repentance and faith, clinging to the cross during his health struggles and during his prayers for others as the selfless man that he was. But at the same time, church, as our brother Nick reminded many of us last night, we can weep, right? He reminded us last night that Jesus wept. Amen? Jesus wept because death brings mourning. Death isn't natural. It is only because of the fall that anyone dies. But as scripture tells us, for believers, death has no sting, right? Amen? And we also weep for Greg's family. We love our sister Kathy and her family. We will continue to pray for them. And as much as uh, we can during this time, we will continue to be there for them. So let's continue to come together, family. Let's glorify God as we remember those words we sang so often last month at NBC. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested and my life began. Amen. Now let's get to what we need more than anything else right now, church. God's word. God's word. Romans 3, 27 through 31. These are the words from the living and one true God. God says to us today, church, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of course, Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. It's the word of the living God. Let me pray quick. Father, I just thank you, God, so much for your mercy, your grace. We thank you for your son during this time who gives us peace. And uh, we just love you, Holy Spirit, for uh, piercing our hearts, encouraging us and granting us repentance and faith. And we just ask God, Spirit of God, that you enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning and help us submit to your word. Encourage us, God. Help me decrease as you increase, Lord. We pray that this sermon is all to your glory, God. We pray that we, when this is over, we will be more in love and we will have more of a desire to exalt your Son, Father, Jesus Christ. We love you, God, and we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's get down to business, church. Oh, do we need 
a message from our Lord this morning. Amen? Let's go right to that first word of our passage, church, to set up the context to our passage today. Notice the beginning of verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? We see the first word there, then, right? Then, followed by what becomes of our boasting? Dr. James White, when commenting on this portion of Scripture, in light of his knowledge of the Greek, states, In the original language, this phrase literally says, Where, therefore, is the boasting? So, church, we need to ask the question right off the bat. We need to ask a question. What does Paul mean by then? Or what does Paul mean by where, therefore? Right? Pastor has told us in the past and over and over again that every word in the Bible has significance. Amen? We have learned through Pastor Chris as well that whenever we see the word or idea, therefore, we need to ask, what is it there for? Or as one Bible teacher puts it, therefore marks the transition from what is said and what the results or consequences are of what has been said. So here in the beginning of verse 27, church, when Paul says, then, what becomes of our boasting? We need to understand that this word, then, follows his summary of a theological treatise on justification by faith alone. Which we looked at last week, right? In Romans 3, 21 through 26. So I believe this word, then, gives us a great opportunity, church, while staying with the text, to set up a strong context for the words we come before God with this morning, namely verses 27 through 31. So what has been said just recently in Romans 3, 21 through 26, right? In our passage last week, we learned that salvation was all of God. We found the answer to the question of how can a man be right with God? The answer Paul gave us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was God provides the righteousness we need, and he gives it to us through the person of Jesus Christ. We also learned that getting that righteousness was not something we can obtain. Amen? Although our pride, as, as a result of our sinful nature, desires that path of self-righteousness, the righteousness of God. Is not a reward for the obedient. How could it be? How could it be when Paul gave us a clear and lengthy examination of the state of our sinfulness in Romans 1.18 all the way to 3.20? We learn through God's inspired holy word, church, that all of mankind is evil. The Bible hammered us with bold claims of our depravity. That no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. No one does good. No, not one. And no one has the fear of God before their eyes. If that wasn't enough, Paul brought us last week in verses 19 through 20 before the judgment seat of God. And he showed us that in our sin, no one is justified before God. Our mouth is stopped before the judge of the universe, church. We have nothing to plead. We stand guilty before a holy God. And as verse 20 stated, the last verse, after two long months of bad news, divine truth that God is holy and we are not. And we are in need of a Savior. Verse 20 stated, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Our pride was demolished, church. God took away every ounce of hope that we had in ourselves, and then he shined his sovereign mercy on us. Light came through the darkness last week as two powerful words broke through. But now. But now. Those two words, but now, have appeared before us in verse 21 of chapter 3, giving us hope, strength, and joy during the midst of our trials, church. 
we learned that God stepped into our brokenness and provided for us the righteousness that we needed to be right with him. And he did it in Jesus Christ. Christ, church, Christ lived the life we failed to live in our place as our substitute. And Christ died the death we so deserved. As the Heavenly Father poured out His wrath on His Son in our place. As Jesus fulfilled the Scriptures becoming the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sin of all who believe. Our passage last week ended with Paul saying, This is why even when God appeared to be passing over former sins prior to the cross, He was always planning to be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen? So now we come to our text today, church. After a brief review, giving us the context of chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. And Paul gives us three implications of what we have learned last week. Three implications. So when Paul says the word then... In the beginning of verse 27, he's saying, because justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true, these are the logical implications of it. And that is what we will cover today, church. Paul gives us three implications or results of the glorious doctrine of justification by faith alone. So that is why we, what we will learn today. And then next, next week, Paul will give us two illustrations. He'll give us two Old Testament illustrations of what this doctrine of justification looks like so for today as we continue our roman study in accordance with our mentorship program i will have three points three points i know i usually when i preach i have one main point one theme flowing through the sermon with uh points to support the text but this morning i noticed through uh this passage this passage does not give me that's that type of structure. Instead, Paul is telling us in his uh, typical polemic spirit, polemic meaning when a person strongly defends an idea or set of beliefs, and in Paul's case, a theological doctrine. So in this type of writing style, I believe Paul gives us three main points today. Three main points. Number one, this is verses 27 and 28, our first point. We see that if justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true, there's no room for boasting. Then our second point, which will cover verses 29 through 30, if justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true, there's only one way to God. And then a third point, which will cover uh, verse 31, if justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true, then the law is established. Again, three implications from last week's text. No room for boasting. There's only one way to God, and the law is established. So let's look at our first point. The first point of the sermon this morning. If justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true, in which we know it is, of course, amen, because God says it's true through his holy inspired word, then the result is there's no room for boasting. There's no room for boasting. Notice Paul's first question in the beginning of verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? Then what becomes of our boasting? Church, this idea of boasting, which means to brag or glory in something you have accomplished, is one of the key words, key words in verse 27. We see in verse 27 alone that this idea of boasting is implied five times. So we need to tackle this idea that if justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true, the logical implication that follows is boasting is excluded for the believer. Amen? There's no room for boasting in the Christian life, church. Boasting is destroyed by God's totally sovereign grace. Indeed, the gospel of grace should humble us immensely if indeed God grants us True saving faith. So church, what do you think is the underlining sin of all boasting? Just think about it. 
Underlining sin of all boasting. Any idea? I'll give you a hint. This sin got Satan kicked out of heaven. Pride. Amen? Pride. Self-centeredness is one of our biggest problems in this world, church. When it comes to spiritual things, spiritual pride is what drives most false religions. The Bible gives us a real clear description of this boastful, proud attitude that man-centered religion produces. Isaiah 2.12 states, The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. God says through Proverbs 6.5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. The Bible says in another proverb, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Or how about Jesus' words to the proud and his words to the self-righteous religious people? In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Do mighty works in your name. We hear this in our day as well, right? With religious people who are blind to the gospel. I give food to the poor. I spend hours and hours on the street giving out gospel tracts. I fast every week. I, saw the, I, I do the rosary daily and I, I believe God will honor my faithfulness to him. I, 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 church, this is a boasting heart. This is a spiritual, proud heart. We in our flesh, church, will always try to glorify ourselves. Just like Satan, even in our religious zeal. As I said over and over again, two weeks ago, we need Christ. Christ brings humility, church. If justification by faith alone and Christ alone is true, there's no room for boasting. Spiritual pride has always, always been the issue, church, ever since the fall of man. Don't we see this in the Gospels? Amen? When Jesus had his discussions with his religious leaders, um, with the leaders, these were supposed to be the pious ones, the religious elites. But the truth is, they love to boast in their self-righteousness. They love for people to witness their long prayers, their devotion to their rituals. But what did Jesus say to them? In, in John 8, 44, Jesus said to, to those who are questioning his authority, he said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Church, unless God does something about our boastfulness, our pride, unless God changes us from the inside out, or as Paul called it in chapter 2, circumcises our hearts and brings us to him through the gospel, we will be self-righteous and boastful. Either through our atheism, our, our self-professed uh, personal spirituality, or by our man-centered religious beliefs, Either way, God will not be glorified. We will glorify ourselves. It says, Pastor Chris says, sin can be defined as self-interest now. I love that. that is, it's a very accurate, easy way to define sin. Self-interest now. Isn't that what the prosperity gospel is all about? Amen? God is for us in our interest above all, as opposed to the truth that his glory is what he is foremost interested in, church. We are created to glorify God and God alone. The Bible says in Colossians 1, 16 through 17, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, 
All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Amen? The deception is the prosperity gospel. False teachers, they, they say Jesus. Amen? They, they say they believe in Jesus. They believe in grace. They believe in faith. But at the core, church, what motivates their beliefs their desire, what motivates their zeal is their desire to prosper and succeed and live a healthy, wealthy, and happy life. This gospel is a false gospel, a man-centered gospel that wants God's gifts without the giver, God himself. Church, if we choose to live a life trusting in God plus our obedience, plus our works, believing that this combination of righteousness will justify us before God. We will boast. We will boast all right. We will have a right to boast, but not before God. We will boast on our way to hell, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If justification by faith alone and Christ alone is true, there's no room for boasting. I'd like to share some powerful words from C.S. Lewis. I, I took some of his words from a chapter on pride from his book called Mere Christianity. I think it's a great illustration of what pride and uh, boasting does to us. And hopefully it will, it will act as an aid to our point this morning that if the gospel is true, there's no room for boasting. So Lewis states this, quote, The Christians are right. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people. But pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. In God, you come up against something which is, in every respect, immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A problem man's always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. That raises a terrible question. How is it that people who are quite obviously eaten up with pride can say they believe in God and appear to themselves very religious? I am afraid it means that they are worshiping an imaginary God. They theoretically admit themselves to be nothing in the presence of this phantom God, but are really all the time imagining how he proves of them and thinks them far better than ordinary people. That is, they pay a penny worth of imaginary humility to him and get out of it a pound's worth of pride towards their fellow man. I suppose it was those people Christ was thinking when he said that some would preach about him and cast out devils in his name, only to be told at the end of the world that he had never known them. And any of us may, at any moment, be in this death trap. Luckily, we have a test. Whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acting, acted on, not by God, but by the devil. Whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted on, not by God, but by the devil, church. Unquote. Church, if you are recipient of the gospel of grace, if you have come to understand the sovereign grace of God in your life, if you truly believe that God has saved you by his gracious and powerful hand through faith alone, in Christ alone, you have no reason to boast. The only difference between you and an unbeliever is one word. One word. Grace. Grace. God's saving grace. So are you a believer? So are you a believer and you find yourself as C.S. Lewis? Are you one of them who is proclaiming Christ and you find yourself, as C.S. Lewis described, feeling better than someone else because of your religious life? Is that you? If so, you need to repent. 
and believe in the gospel, you are living inconsistent with the Christianity that you profess to believe, church. Church, justification by faith alone is true. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true. And as a result, boasting is excluded. If you want to boast, you need to boast in God. You need to boast in Christ. For he is the only one who deserved the glory. So back to our text. Why is boasting excluded? Why is this boasting excluded? As if what we learned from God's word last week wasn't enough. The apostle hammered home this doctrine of justification by faith alone and states in verse 27b through 28. By what kind of law? By law works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. When Paul says what well, law here, church, this word law is not the Ten Commandments that he's referring to here. Most commentators translate this word to mean principle or rule. Stephen Lawson, when referring to this word in the text, states, quote, When Paul uses the word law here in verse 27, he's talking about an operating principle, unquote. So Paul is saying, church, so then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded? By what kind of principle? By a principle of works? No, by a principle of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And that word law there at the end, the last word, that does refer to God's moral law or actually anything that you can do to earn or merit the approval of God. So church, there is no room for boasting because God has used faith alone as the instrument to bring us to Christ. Paul is telling these religious people, if you were saved by works, sure, you could boast because you'd have done something, right? Your actions would merit you acceptance before God and everyone else who doesn't have God would show that they weren't as humble as you. They weren't as wise as you, as holy as you. But the law of faith is what justifies, not works. The law of faith declares us righteous church and how can you boast how can you boast when the faith that you have itself is a gift from God that you did nothing to receive church Paul is dogmatic and bold about this truth that there is no room for boasting in the Christian life he says in verse 28 we hold or conclude, don't miss the significance of this word, church, we hold, right? It is the word logizomai in the Greek. I have learned through my studies this week that this is a banking account term. It is a word that's used when a financial administrator is gathering up everyone's salary at the end of the month, right? Everyone's salary, the timesheet, and then they add everything up. They conclude or close the books, if you will, at the end of the month. Paul is closing the books here, church. Paul was so sure, so sure after carefully adding everything up that God had revealed to him that as verse 28 states, man is declared righteous by faith apart from works of the law. For we hold that man is declared righteous by faith apart from works of the law. This verse, church, is vital, vital. It's a vital, important, very significant verse for the doctrine of justification by faith alone. It's a very important verse when it comes to this doctrine. This is There's a lot of history with these two words. I mean, with these words here. That we are declared righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. Many preachers often tell the story about the great reformer who I spoke about last week, Martin Luther. While translating the Bible into the German language, added the word alone here. Amen? He added the word alone. After faith. So the German Bible said, we hold that one is justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law. Because he felt it was the most responsible, faithful way to translate the text in light of the context. Dr. Martin Laurie Jones, when commenting on Luther's translation, states, quote, the word alone was not in the original language, but the truth of alone was staring right into Luther's face. 
Church, how can we boast when salvation is all of God, that our works have nothing to do with our justification before God? As our point last week stated, God provided the righteousness we need, and he gives it to us through the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is God-centered, church. We are saved because of God. Our redemption is 100% God. Even when we make a decision to receive Christ, the truth is, as John Piper once said, we are merely acting out the miracle. Amen? The Bible says in John 1, 12-13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of man, nor the will of flesh, but of God. God gives us spiritual life, church. Oh, what a glorious message. What a glorious gospel. What a glorious God. A gospel that humbles us to the core, church. What a joy. What a joy it is during our time of mourning for our brother Greg. That our brother in the Lord, all the way up, to the end had songs in his heart like these nothing in the hands in my hands i bring simply to thy cross i cling amazing grace how sweet this song the sound that saved the wretch like me i once was lost but now i'm found was blind but now i see church and justification by faith alone in christ alone there is no room for boasting and what does this mean for us practically? What does this mean for us practically during this time? During all the trials and suffering and temptation to be anxious and fearful. This truth tells us that we don't have to clean up our life and hope we live long enough to do enough good works. To balance out the bad we've done. We don't have to take out our checkbook as the coronavirus attacks our body in fear and write out a check to a St. Jude's or Voice of the Martyrs or any other charity to right our wrongs. And hope that just maybe will merit us a place in heaven. The truth is, church, those actions are a temptation for many of you who don't understand the gospel. Who are in a maybe a religious, a religion that requires merit. And it's nothing but pride that leads you there. I can save myself. I can turn my life around. I can, I, I can be a godly person and prove I love God and he loves me. This is a high hand to God, church. An offense to the almighty triune God. This was my life prior to getting saved. This was my life. I lived years and years as a rebellious drug addict, heroin addict, alcoholic, womanizer. And then I traded it in. For a life of self-righteousness. And the truth is, in the end, I was equally lost and empty. Until Christ brought me to himself. And I was saved by justification through faith alone in Christ alone. Remember what C.S. Lewis said about this self-righteousness. Whenever we find, he said, whenever we find our religious life, is making us feel that we are good above all, that we are better than someone else, I think that we may be sure that we are being acted on, not by God, but by the devil. I'll tell you one thing. My religious zeal at that time was acted not by God, but by the devil. Church, our religious duties, our prayers, our church attendance, Bible readings, ministries, all these things will never justify us before God. Because even if you did them perfectly, right, from, from others' perspective, maybe it, it looks like you're doing them blameless, in a blameless way, right? We know from Scripture that all of our works are tainted with our sin. God sees our heart. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Or some translations would say filthy rags. Proverbs 15.8 says the sacrifice of the wicked, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, without true saving faith, it's impossible to please God. Church, unless you have true biblical faith and your works are a natural response of loving God, as opposed to storing up merit to justify yourself, 
you will never please God. Church, the one who comes to God empty-handed by faith alone in Christ alone, he is the one who cannot boast in himself, but instead he cries out like the Apostle Paul did in Galatians 6.14. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of principle? The principle of faith. The principle of faith. Justification by faith alone and Christ alone is true. And there's no room for boasting. Now for the second point of the sermon. Second point of the sermon. If justification by faith alone and Christ alone is true, there's only one way to God. There's only one way to God. Notice verses 29 through 30. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of course. I mean, yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith in the uncircumcised through faith. Church, Paul contends that there must be only one way of justification because there's only one God. When he says God is one, every Jew reading these words would have thought of the Shema, the old covenant confession of faith that every Jew knew by heart since their youth. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Paul grew up a devout Jew. He used what he knew about God as a Jew to show his confession. What was meant to put was not meant to put up barriers. God is one, and God is the God of all. Some of the Jews who denied Christ were struggling with Paul's theology here in regards to how one is just before God. They disagreed with Paul on what the one way of justification entailed. For them, it was submission to the Mosaic Law, including circumcision and, and many other rituals. For them, it was faith in God plus works. They knew there was one God. So they concluded that everyone needs to follow God's law to be justified, to be in right standing with God. Paul says this cannot be. After all, how could Gentiles be justified by the law of Moses if they've never been under the law of Moses? Amen? Yes, they're under the moral law of God. We learn that in verse 20, where, where uh, the Bible says that every mouth will be stopped as we stand before God, failing to measure up to his law. We saw this idea also in Romans 2. Romans 2, 12 through 16, where Paul stated, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And then Paul explained why this is in uh, verse 15. He said, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. But these self-righteous Jews could not understand the gospel of grace, church. Sure, Jews and Gentiles have different ethnic and religious backgrounds, different cultures, but if God is the standard and his way to justify people was put in place as a sovereign decree before the foundation of the world. That truth destroys barriers. Justification by faith alone and Christ alone is the answer to every culture, every nation who is trying to be right before God. In our day, this is it's just as true in our day. Amen. For the psalmist says the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. The Bible also says in Hebrews 13.8, I mean, yeah, 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Church, in our day, there are many, many religions as well. Many different religious backgrounds. Amen? We have the Buddhists, the Hindus, Muslims. We have Judaism. That's still pre prevalent today. Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodox, Mormonism, many Many other different cultures, religious rituals, different approaches, different ways to approach God. They grew up with certain beliefs they don't that don't necessarily come from the Bible. Now, does this mean that there are many paths to God? Is it like Oprah Winfrey says that there's only one God, but there are many paths to that one God? When speaking to a born-again believer, Oprah once said, quote, you can't possibly think that your way is the only way. 
No, bro. We don't think our way is the only way. We believe that God's way is the only way, and God tells us justification by faith alone and Christ alone is true. Therefore, there are many paths to God. There is only one way to God. Amen? And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for this truth, church. Praise the Lord that during this time where the world is desperate and scared, that there is a gospel that has no barriers. Amen? That there is a gospel that is offered to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. What a loving God we have. Church, we, we can say with confidence. Understand this. We can say with confidence to anyone. We meet. Whoever calls upon the Lord will be saved. Oh, what a hope. What a, what a gracious God. What a gracious God who can even save someone on their deathbed. Amen? We, we know this from the thief on the cross, right? He had no life of works as far as we, we can tell. He was dying for the crime he committed, being punished as he deserved. And his faith in Jesus caused our Lord to say these words in Luke 23, 43. Truly, truly, I say to you. Today, you shall be with me in paradise. Blessed assurance, church. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Amen. Moving on to our next verse of our second point. Notice Paul states in verse 30. Verse 30 of our text. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Church, remember when Paul says Jews and Gentiles are circumcised or uncircumcised, he is saying all of mankind. Amen? And again, God has designed a way for all mankind, whether Jew, Greek, Egyptian, Pakistanian, Asian, Irish, Italian, anyone who is looking for a right standing before God, anyone who is looking for peace with God, to have eternal life with the God, the one true God of the universe, needs to be justified through faith alone in Christ alone. What did our text say last week? You guys remember? What did our text say last week? After months of God shining the light on, on the hopelessness that we have in ourselves, after text, after text of God showing us that we have no righteousness in ourselves, he gave that gives us right standing before God. A light shine in the darkness of verse 21 where God said through Paul, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There it is. All who believe, church. Then Paul says in verse, he said in verse uh, 22b, for there's no distinction. Amen? There is no distinction. There is no distinction. Sounds like our text today. It sounds like our text today in verse 29. The Bible says, is God the God of Jews only? Is there any distinction? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Of course, Gentiles also. And notice verse 30 again. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Amen. God be the glory, church. Declared righteous, the circumcised, meaning the Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcised, meaning everyone who isn't Jew, Jewish, through faith. Church, of course, justification by faith alone in Christ alone is the only way to God. For Romans 3.23 states, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Church, salvation is God-centered. God is just in the justifier of all who believe. There's no distinction. There, there's no such thing as another option to God. I realize, church, this is a bold, bold point in light of our postmodern culture. A culture where truth is whatever you think it is. A culture where the most humble statement a Christian can make um, sounds a little like this. Jesus is the only way for me. But if you're sincere in your faith, who am I to say you're wrong? All I know is Jesus works for me. 
Church, this is not a humble heart that proclaims such words. This is a prideful heart. This is a heart that has no idea what true salvation entails. A heart that has not come to understand the depravity of our sin and the beauty of the cross. Make no mistake about it, Christians. Christians have always proclaimed Jesus as the only way to God. The elect of God have always proclaimed that Jesus is the only Lord. Why do you think why so many Christians were killed in the first century? Amen? It wasn't because they boldly professed to Caesar and the Roman authorities that Jesus was their personal Savior along with Caesar. No, they went against the powerful ruler who didn't care who you worship or believed in as long as the knee was equally bowed to him, namely Caesar. But the Christian said, God is just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. A great example or illustration of this boldness is in the, uh, is the second century martyr Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna. I don't know if any of you guys ever heard him, Polycarp. Polycarp was tortured and his body burned on a Roman stake. He understood, though, Polycarp understood that Jesus was Lord of all. What boldness in the gospel, church. Something we can learn from as we come before the world as salt and light in these times. All Polycarp had to do at that time to preserve his life is proclaim Caesar was Lord. That's it. And deny Christ as the supreme king. That's all he had to do. But Polycarp understood that if justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true... There is only one God. There is only one Lord. There is only one King. Polycarp understood that the glory of the gospel is to live as Christ and to die as gain. Polycarp never forgot Jesus' words in Matthew 10, 28, where he said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul and throw them into hell. Or Jesus' words in the Gospel of John, where he said, No slaves greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Church Polycarp's famous last words prior to his death were these. Quote, Eighty and six years I have served Christ, nor has he ever done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? I bless thee for dining me worthy of this day in this hour that I may among thy martyrs and drink the cup of my Lord Jesus Christ, unquote. Praise the Lord Church for the gospel, a gospel that gives people boldness in the face of death and persecution. Church, we should be encouraged by the voices and lives of the martyrs that live before us, even the ones who are boldly professing Christ alone in the face of opposition and persecution today. Amen? Church, justification by faith alone and Christ alone is true. And as a result, there is only one way to God. Are you sharing this truth, church, with others during this coronavirus pandemic? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you loving your neighbor enough to tell them that there's a living God who will take away all fear of death? That there's a Savior named Jesus who will never forsake them during difficult times? Are you telling them that there's a spirit given to God's people who, when facing the storms of life, will cry out from deep within the Christian soul to live as Christ, to die as gain? Church, today is the day of salvation. Amen? Let's proclaim this gospel to the world. Let's be the church that we are called to be. Now we come to our last point of the sermon. We have learned so far that just if justification by faith alone is true as a result there's no room for boasting amen second point we've learned that justification by faith alone in christ alone is true therefore there's only one way to god and now the third point of the sermon justification by faith alone in christ alone is true and as a result the law has been established the law has been established notice the last verse of today's passage verse 31 do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Notice Paul anticipating another question, church, from the religious leaders. 
Okay, Paul, uh, you're very adamant about this point that we're justified by faith alone, trusting in the righteousness that God provides through Christ. Maybe Jonah was right, Paul, that salvation's of the Lord. God elects. God grants us to get the repentance and faith. He uses an instrument to bring us to himself. God declares us righteous by placing Christ's perfect life into our account. All the wrath we deserve was justly poured out on the Son of God. Okay. All of life, all of Christ, all of God's glory. Pride is destroyed. As you say, Paul, this gospel brings nothing but humility because salvation is 100% God apart from any works of the law. So what about, so what then, Paul, would you say about the Old Testament? Why did God spend so much time showing us his law in the Old Covenant if it was all going to be annulled in the end? We're obedience to God. In all of this, where is the obedience to God in all of this, Paul? Where's the continuity throughout all the scriptures? I mean, you did say back in the beginning of the letter, Paul, that, that there this good news was from God, sent by God, for God, that it was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul states again, he states again, boldly, verse 31, anticipating the religious pushback. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Paul answers this by saying, notice 31, church, by no means, by no means. The English really doesn't give this phrase justice, church. The English does not give this phrase justice. Paul says the same words in chapter 6 after Paul has expounded more on this gospel of grace by giving Old Testament illustrations and really taking the rug, that rug of spiritual pride up from under the religious people he says in Romans 6, what, the, what's, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. So they pushed back more and they concluded that this doctrine of justification by faith alone and all it entails will cause nothing but embellish rebellion before God in the name of Christian freedom. And Paul says again in chapter 6, by no means. How can he who died to sin live in it? And then he spends many chapters on the doctrine of sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ because of our union with him through justification by faith alone. Oh, am I looking forward to, uh, to that study in the months ahead. So again, Paul says in chapter 6, by no means, and here in verse 31, we see the same response, a bold, unapologetic, inspired answer, by no means. Church, through my study this week, I have noticed that many commentators believe the most accurate translation to this phrase would be, may it never be. May it never be. R.C. Sproul, Dr. R.C. Sproul states this, while commenting on this portion of scripture. This is the strongest emphatic negative in the Greek language. Church, are you kidding? No way do we overthrow or annul the law of God. It's, it, it, it's like Paul say, thinking, I think you missed the point here. You are proving you have zeal, but not by knowledge. The eyes of your heart have not been enlightened. Notice verse 31, church, by no means. On the contrary, Paul says, it is quite the opposite. We uphold the law. We uphold the law. Church, as a third point states, if justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true, the law has been established. It has been established through us in Christ. Dr. Thomas Schreiner, when commenting on verse 31, states, Justification by faith does not nullify the law, but establishes it. That is, the law itself points to the fact that human obedience to law cannot save, and that righteousness can be achieved through faith in Christ. Christ has achieved this righteousness on behalf of all who believe in him through his perfect fulfillment of the law in his atoning death on the cross for the salvation of of all who believe, unquote. Church, from Adam all the way up until now, and through the second coming, God has commanded us to fulfill the law 
and all those who are united to him through faith in Christ are declared righteous in him because he has followed the law perfectly for us. As we saw last week, church, God doesn't turn a blind eye to sin. Amen? And, and throw, the way, throw away the law. He can't. He is holy and righteous. He provided the righteousness that he commands us to have, and he provided it in the person of Jesus Christ. As the words to a beautiful hymnal declare, Free from the law, O happy condition, Jesus hath bled, and there is remission. Cursed be the law, and bruised by the fall. Grace hath redeemed us once and for all. Church, we are free from the condemnation of the law. And now, in our walk with the Lord, our justification, being declared righteous before God, will lead to sanctification as we become more and more like Christ. Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, what? You will keep my commandments. Amen? What does our memory verse say? Tell me it doesn't proclaim that we uphold the law. I'm thinking of uh, chapter 8, 1 through 4 particularly, for those who are listening in unity on the count of three. Why don't we, on the count of three, just say it. Amen? On the count of three. One, two, three. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the to the spirit church the opposite of condemnation is justification and there is no longer any condemnation for those who have been declared righteous before god in christ jesus christ took our place as the father condemned our sin on christ in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit yes church if justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true, the law has been established. The law has been established both in justification and as we grow in Christ through our sanctification all the way to our glorification where we stand before the Lord fully sanctified without sin. Amen? Let's see what the whole council has to say about this glorious point that in Christ, the law is established. The ultimate goal of the law has always been, what? To fix our eyes on Christ. Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Church, Jesus came to fulfill all that was written in the law and the prophets. Amen? The Bible says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Church, for all the promises of God find their what? Their yes in him. If justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true, the law is established, church. So in closing, as we close here today, church, God is so, so good. Amen? Our hearts may be heavy at NBC and, and in our churches, uh, in other churches as well. For many, many people loved our brother Greg and they continue to love Kathy. But our Lord Jesus Christ intercedes for us during these times, church. He gives us the peace we need. Amen. And he allows us to come to him broken. He actually loves for us to, to be weak for there he is strong. There are many other ones, many of our loved ones who are suffering from the coronavirus. We know from scripture and experience, church, that when one of our fellow Christian, if a fellow Christian's hurting, the whole body of believers are affected. We bear each other's burdens for the glory of the gospel. It's a dark time, church, but equally true, this is a glorious time. Amen? A time where our love for Christ 
is burning brighter than ever. Our dependence on our Lord is stronger than ever. And our hope of eternal life, where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, has come to be closer to many of our hearts than it has been for a long time. Church, I praise God for you. I praise God for you. Pastor Chris praises God for all of you. The elders praise God for all of you. We miss everyone. Everybody misses each other. Amen? We will all miss our brother Greg until we see him again in glory, of course. And for those who are listening who are not part of NBC, who are maybe not even part of a church, maybe you were invited to listen to this by a dear friend or family member of yours, I sincerely plead with you, I sincerely plead with you to repent of your sin and place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. My friend, life is but a vapor. We are here today and gone tomorrow. And the truth is, once we take our last breath, it's too late to be reconciled to God. Someone will pay for your sins, my friend. The question is, do you want it to be you? Or is it going to be the Son of God? The only one who defeated death, who rose from the grave 2,000 years ago. My friend, turn to Christ and live. Turn to Christ and live before it's too late. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true. And as a result, there's no room for boasting. There's only one way to God, and the law of God is established. Amen. Let me pray quick. Father, I just thank you so much for this message. I thank you for this passage, God. I just pray, God, that you will give us strength during this time. Help us be a light to the world and help us continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.